0: You're listening to the Awesome Podcast Network. Ooh, welcome back, everybody, to the latest and greatest episode of. (laughs) He threw me off when you did. I thought you were actually saying
1: something. Nope, just adding sound effects. Hey, that works.
0: But anyway, release. Uh, August. We are talking about American Werewolf in London this week. Came out August 21st, 1981, three days before that asshole Mark David Chapman was sentenced to 20 years to life in prison for pleading guilty to murdering John Lennon in Manhattan eight months earlier. Rotten hell, you son of a bitch! But for the rest of you, enjoy a brand new episode of 80s Revisited. 80s Revisited. Hello, mom.
1: Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it? Could be a lot of things. Yeah. A coyote. There aren't any coyotes in England. The Hound of the Baskervilles. Picos Bill. Heathcliff. Heathcliff didn't howl. No, but he was on the moors.
0: It's a full moon. Beware Beware the the moon. moon.
1: And stick to the road. Oops.
0: Oops is right if you're on the moors, but if you're listening to the latest and greatest episode of 80s Revisited, that's a big non-oops. There you go. Whatever that means. But anyway, welcome back to our latest installment of our Halloween horror. Fantastic Hootenanny of Terror, all that kind of fun stuff I normally say around this. As we talk about one of the greatest... 80s horror movies, in my opinion, ever made. An American Werewolf in London, not the lame-ass sequel. My life, my wife likes. An American, Paris. Yeah, Paris, yeah, American Werewolf in Paris, not that one with the horrible soundtrack. This one has a good soundtrack and is a great director and a good cast. Uh, it was released August 21st, 1981. IMDb gives it a really high for a horror movie, especially 7.6. But who are you? See, Jesse, when we record, like, so, you know, I gotta get into it again, I'll, I'll, yes. I want you to do a warm-up episode first that we don't right. air, but sure. anyway, of course, in case you didn't know, and you're joining us for the first <laughs> time, I'm your host, Trey Harris, with me as always, my own companion as we hike across the haunted moors of England, mm. Jesse Sedgley. Yes, I am. And see, that's why you're here, yep. in addition to owning all this stuff, and I'm doing it at your house, right. to remind me to tell people who I am. <laughs> I, I, I'm just presumptuous sometimes, I sure. assume
1: people know. We also have this temporary podcast set up, which people can't see. Hopefully, they can't hear it. Well,
0: imagine that scene in and Ke- Burton's Batman where they're at the far ends of tables. Right. Jesse's like twenty feet away from me now. Right. We used to I be have so close. The table size. <laughs> we used to play footsies during the episode, but now. No way. Yeah, we're well, like six feet apart. That's okay. <laughs> well, hey, give me a minute. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, we're not that type of podcast. We keep it highbrow around here. Yes. But uh, sure. anyway, as I was saying, IMDb gives it a 7.6, which is really high for a horror movie. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes, 89% critics and 85% audience. So this was a very, is and was a still, uh, a, still a well-regarded film for the most part. Couldn't find any info on the budget, and that was a number I really wanted to know because of the effects in this film, which is the big landmark part of it, to be honest with you. Right. It opened at 3.7, which put it at number one, uh, and the other two, it only two other films even opened the same weekend, and they were so forgettable, I never heard of them before, I didn't even bother to write them down. So it was a big hit the first week it came out, and went on domestically to gross $30.5 million. Hmm. Uh, couldn't find any worldwide or rentals, but it's safe to say it made more than just thirty point five. Well, but, according to Wikipedia, the budget was reportedly $10 million for this. Wow, I bet it all went to the effects, much like The Blob <laughs> yeah. did when uh, we talked about that wow. a couple weeks ago. Directed by the great John Landis, well, great to some, uh, of course, Three Amigos, Twilight Zone, the movie segment, which almost ruined his career when an actor and two children got killed in a helicopter stunt accident. Uh, look it up if you want to hear more about that. Uh, but also, of course, Animals, uh, Animal House, Blues Brothers, and Michael Jackson's Thriller, which uh, you'll hear Michael Jackson and Thriller mentioned a lot in this episode because it is because of this movie that we have Thriller. Wow. But more on that in just a second. It was also written by John Landis, uh, who also did the story for Clue, which we covered not too long ago, also the concept for Thriller, and unfortunately also he wrote Blues Brothers 2000, one of the most disappointing sequels I've ever seen in my life. Uh, But uh, starring David Naughton as David, he was also in a film called Hot Dog, the movie, and most recently Sharknado 5. Still haven't seen that one. And lots of TV, like one-offs on a lot of different uh, shows. Uh, Griffin Dunn or Dune, I'm not sure how he pronounces his last name, but he was Jack. Uh, he was in My Girl and recently the Dallas Buyers Club. Uh, Jenny Agutter, or Agutter was Alex. She was in the Avengers uh, as like a senator or a councilwoman, something like that. Uh, also Winter Soldier, like in that same kind of role. And the only other thing I actually remember seeing her in was Logan's Run with uh, Michael, I forget his name. But he was Basil in the Austin Powers movies. Oh, Michael see, York. That's it. Wait, Dick Sargent, Sergeant York. Weird. <laughs> it all goes back to Wayne's world when I think of a Mike Myers movie. Yep. <laughs> uh, but uh, John Woodvine was Dr. Hirsch. And I swear every time I see this movie, I'm like, God, he's so familiar. But I, the only thing I've seen him in is this movie.
1: Mm.
0: But he looks so familiar. But he's done a ton, a ton of British television. Mm. And the great... Frank Oz as Mr. Collins, of course. The voice of... Well, that's, Kerm- that's my current impression. The voice of Fozzie Bear <laughs> and, and Miss Piggy. Uh, he also directed... The, uh, he's a veteran call? of the podcast because he not only did he also perform as Yoda in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, but also he directed Little Shop of Horrors, which we covered a uh, long time ago, actually, on the podcast. Mm. So, but a uh, synopsis. Two guys are backpacking across Europe. Get attacked by a werewolf. Chaos ensues. Mm. That's all you need to know going into it. If you haven't seen it, speaking of people who haven't seen it, Jesse, have you seen this movie? Uh, it, if I have, it's been way too long. Of all the ones that we're going to cover, this over this particular Halloween horror, this is this is the best one. Yeah, far and away, in my Explorious. opinion. It's it's, <laughs> it's 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 a fun movie. It's uh, I mean, it's got it's got everything from multiple genres. You have some of the greatest special effects that have ever been put to film, thanks to Mr. Rick Baker, which we'll on him in a minute. Uh, this, you know, the, the effects, uh, practical, all on set. This film's notable. Like, when people think about this film, it's pretty much they think about the werewolf transformation. Mm-hmm. And when you, if you haven't seen this film, or if you haven't seen it in a long time, because, honestly, most people who listen to this podcast probably didn't see it in theaters in 1981. But, however, of course, throughout the 80s, it was on TV a lot and everything like that. But the transformation sequence in this movie, I think it's only like maybe a minute, two minutes long. Mm-hmm. But I mean, in 1981, in that year, these kind of effects, and it, this set the tone for the whole 80s, in my opinion. Fine. And this was the bar for practical effects until uh, I think Rob Botan, who was an apprentice of uh, Rick Baker, The Thing. Then I think that set the bar higher. And then uh, I have to look at chronology to come up with what, right. But, I mean, when I think of pra- like some of the best... Or whenever that you see a montage of, like, sp- horror, you know, Halloween movies or horrific things happening or special effects, gory stuff, you will see clips from this film. You will see clips from the thing because of the practicality, the practical effects that still... I watched this movie in 1080p this year for the first time. looked phenomenal. All wow. the effects, everything looked great. Now, of course, when they're holding a, a werewolf puppet head... In a hand like a <laughs> Muppet, and they're moving it around. Yeah, the motion isn't, you know, you can, you know what's happening here because you watch film and you listen to this podcast, and you know you you kind of know what's what's required. However, it's still it fits the movie because John Landis, he's done comedy, he's done horror, he's done a lot of different things, but you know, I mean, there's no horror in the Three Amigos, yes. but you know, in thriller, in Twilight Zone, uh, even though they had to heavily edit the ending because of the onset disaster that happened. Uh, you know, there's still that just, you kind of, you almost don't know what to expect because of him as a director. You know, this is the guy that did Animal House, the Blues Brothers, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, it's, you kind of, it doesn't keep you guessing, but you're just like, you know, okay, is this going to be a joke or is something horrific about to happen? Hmm. And in this film, it consistently, uh, because my wife hasn't seen this in a long time, and where she, she actually paid, let me put it this way, she paid attention this time when we were watching it. She went on her phone a lot. She's like, oh, I don't remember that. I'm like, well, I'm thinking because you watched it, you watch your phone when you watch movies. Yeah. But it was, she was still surprised. You know, I was watching her watch it, be surprised at, like, I don't remember it being this bloody. I'm like, yeah, it's pretty fucking bloody. <laughs> this is a gory, gory movie. And again, 1981, and it still holds up. And that's just, to me, that's the, that's the testament of practical effects. Uh, you know, and, and CG's not going anywhere, obviously. Mm-hmm. But the, pr- the effects in this movie are a lost art. And uh, the cheaper that it gets to where, you know, the iPhone apps that come out to where you can do your own special effects and all that, this is eventually going to be, go the way of like, you know, a cobbler. Well, I guess they still have cobblers. Yeah, Uh, they do. But, uh, uh, horseshoe, uh, something very specific, (laughs) uh, butter
1: churn makers. Okay. You could say Blockbuster employee. Oh, Blockbuster employee. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for rescuing
0: me from my bit of going way back to the 1800s instead right. of just looking five years ago. Yeah, you know, akin of Blockbuster employees to where you don't have a job anymore because they don't right. exist, except the one Blockbuster that's still in operation yeah. in the United States. In Alaska. <laughs> that mm-hmm. makes perfect sense. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, absolute sense that that's where it would be. Because
1: it costs too much to bring connections, like internet connections to your house. Because yeah, you, you still... have to pay for like satellite or something like that. And some people are just like, fuck, I'm going to Blockbuster.
0: <laughs> and I assume too, like, you know, even because. I don't. I've never had a satellite. I just hear people's horror stories about it. Yeah. To where, like, you know, you're in Alaska, so you're at the top of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think they have satellite. You know, you probably have blackouts. Right. And like constant signal interruption or whatever. So where you need you need to have your own collection or have a place, a video store, to be able to you know get that. But the thing that this movie to me always comes back just that one transformation scene because it is. It's brutal. It's painful. Mm-hmm. He's screaming in pain. It's not like uh, Lon Chaney Jr.'s Wolfman, which is like, you know, they're fading. He's standing still. They put on some more makeup. He goes back to his position, and they just overlay the shots. Oh, a werewolf now though. He is writhing in pain. This there's nothing cool about being a werewolf. Right. In this movie, it's horrible. Uh, the transformation that he goes through in it. And again, it, I can't reiter, uh, reiterate this enough. It still looks so fucking good. Yeah. Absolutely, just like, good God. Uh, to where I'm watching it, there's, supposed to, there's like an hour and a half documentary for this film. I haven't seen it. I really want to see it for more info on behind-the-scenes stuff and getting with the effects and all that. But uh, it's just, you look at it it's like, how did they do that? And even, again, watching it in 1080p still looks, still looks as good as it did in 480i on television. When's the last in, time
1: you watched the sequel?
0: Uh, the year it came out.
1: Okay. <laughs> when a date in
0: high school. <laughs> So, I was
1: going to say, like, I wonder how it compares, like, the look of it.
0: Well, even after we watched it, she's like, well, I was like, well, yeah, now go, uh, not download, but, uh, rent the Paris one. I'm like, go to Blockbuster
1: I'm not... and go get us the Paris one.
0: <laughs> yeah, because we live in Alaska. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, uh, so I haven't seen that one in forever. I just remember that stupid Bush song that was, like, on all the trailers and, nothing hurts like your mouth. Oh, God. That's gosh. my Gavin Rosdell impression. Fuck <laughs> you, Gavin Rosdell. But, uh. Anyway, growing up, I always, if I'm, being young in the 80s, like on TBS, 86, 87, you know, a young child watching this, the movie never held my attention as a kid, Mm -hmm. except for like, but once I knew that this was the movie that had that scene and I saw that scene, I'd watch it for that scene and then kind of just lose a little interest. Because, I mean, it's it's a bit of a love story. It's a bit of a comedy. It's a dark comedy, obviously, and it's a horror movie. It's a lot of different things mashed into one, and it all works. Uh, it's got that class. I say classic, but you know, one of those very abrupt endings where it's like, okay, that's the end. <laughs> you know, uh, leaves but, you wanting more. Yeah, well, it really does. And you know, the soundtrack's great. It's just you feel for the guy. You know, he's going insane. Like, and I think that's what Landis was a good choice for a werewolf movie. And this was kind of a pet project. Pardon the pun, even though I don't know if that's a pun or not. But a pet project of his uh, to where he wanted to do this movie. Uh, and with his comedic background and sense of how comedies work because, you know, I've never made movies professionally, but I've always heard it's, and just low budget, it's so much harder to mm-hmm. do comedy than right. any other genre. You know, ex- not counting special effects or budget type things, but just in terms of something like that. I've always heard that comedy's really hard because it's, it's, it's harder to write. It's got to be, you know, pop you pop 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 You've got to have a flow. You've got to be good at it.
1: Mm-hmm. And I think Timing.
0: Landis... Exactly, and Landis is great at that. In this film, it go it's a roller coaster. I mean, one second it's a horror movie, the next, his dead friend. Spoiler alert, uh, if you haven't seen it, Jack appears <laughs> like, Hey, kill yourself, David, just go shoot yourself, man. Do everybody a favor. It's yeah. really dark, <laughs> and then, like, and then the beautiful nurse comes in, he's like, Oh, hey, I think I'm going insane. She's like, oh, I'll help you, David. I'll help. I was like, Oh, you know, and then all of a sudden, he turns to a werewolf and brutally murders all these people, <laughs> <laughs> but then, then. In, in John Landis fashion, it comes back in the next morning, he wakes up in the zoo in the wolf enclosure, like, what the fuck, buck naked? Yeah. And then he's like walking around the zoo naked, like, hey, kid, come here. Don't get any dirty ideas, you pedophiles. Uh, and then he like grabs his balloons. All you, all you and then... pedophiles that are listening. <laughs> I know there's, statistically speaking, one of you has to be. <laughs> what? Who is it? <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, we don't have but two listeners, so statistically it's neither of you should be. But uh... Sometimes it
1: feels like there's two listeners, because it's the same people that reach out to us, but the downloads say otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> It's just so a all lot of quiet download, people. Right. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, but I'm the same way
0: when I listen to podcasts. Yeah, I mean, I don't usually write in. Yeah. Or I, I just enjoy listening. But we appreciate the people who do write in. That's true. Very true. So don't, don't go our example for the podcast right. we listen to. Be the exception. That's right. To the rule. Right but uh, anyway, so then it goes from a night at night, he's murdering people brutally, ripping them apart. And that's one thing. In this werewolf movie, it's not like, Again, like the Wolfman in Universal where he's, oh, her throat was ripped out and they never show anything. No. Uh, this is like a bear attack from the Revenant and yeah. with extra blood thrown in. I mean, brutal, brutal. You do not want to get killed by a werewolf, ever. Like, it's terrifying. <laughs> this movie does that. You know, uh, in modern culture today, too, like, say, vampires, they've gotten really kind of, pardon my French, but pussified. Right. Or uh, that's, I know that's politically incorrect these days, but I can't think of another word to say right now. But to where you know vampires are sparkly and like oh they're lovers and hmm. you know and uh, Anne Rice did it in the 90s or even earlier than that when her book came out. Yeah. But you know then Twilight came along and then even in Underworld it became all like love story and all like, vampires are romantic sexy creatures. Mm-hmm. But then you know a few days ago I watched Bram Stoker's Dracula and like God like vampire movies used to kick so much ass. Vampires used to be like and they they do still make them don't get me wrong. Thirty Days a Night, uh, I Am Legend they were vampires basically. Yeah. Uh, John Carpenter's vampires in the late uh, '90s as well, but then well, that's still pre-Twilight. A lot of the, uh, some of those, but uh, I just, the werewolves. Uh,
1: we were talking about vampires. I just watched on uh, Amazon Prime. They have a new series called Lore.
0: Mm-hmm. I've, I've seen that advertised before, Blade yeah. Runner.
1: Yeah, and it actually the graphics and stuff look cool, but it's based on a podcast. Yeah, and uh, I watched one episode last night, and it was uh, the origin of vampires, hmm. like where why. I'm kind of spoiling it because at the end they finally tell you, and this is where vampires came from, because they're telling you a whole other story. And at the end they're just like, this is where the origin of the word vampire came from. I'll let you watch it and, uh, you know, decide uh, what, how you feel about it. <laughs> but um, I'll watch it tonight. It came from a place that I didn't think it came from. <laughs> hmm.
0: Well, don't spoil it because I, I did see that advertised and I was like, oh, yeah. Hmm, well, there's other episodes, so yeah. I didn't spoil that. I know they have some <laughs> on like a, that Robert the Haunted Doll and other. It stuff like feels that, so. like
1: back in the 90s, we watched these, uh, anytime you watch something on, on um, public access yeah. or uh, PBS, like they had this badly acted part while the uh, people talked over it, because yeah. it's a podcast, really. Yeah. You could listen to this and probably be fine, but then they act parts of the podcast out and that's with uh, that amateur actors, <laughs> and I'm watching it in 4K. Oh, <laughs> so, God. So, so, like, all that cheesiness really comes through. Comes through. through. That said, I've seen cheesier in the past, but it reminded me of that. I'm like, this could have been done a little
0: better. Yeah. Well little, maybe little... well if it gets enough budget then right. we'll probably see that in the next season. Yeah. But all I was getting at was that werewolves and then, you know, Twilight happened. I didn't even know there were werewolves in Twilight till like the third movie or something. And I saw like the advertising with the other dude, like Team Jacob. Yeah, all that. Like, what is that? Oh, there's werewolf like there's werewolves in it now? <laughs> And I honestly can't. The last good werewolf movie I saw was uh, Silver Bullet two years ago when we watched it on the podcast. What's this movie? (laughs) Yo, yo. In terms of when I watched it, just the other day. Yeah. 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 You know, so there really hasn't been a good werewolf movie. I mean, and I think there's a lot of lore there to use that term, Uh, and there's original places to take that story. Right. Which I mean, American Werewolf in London did something very original. With like the internal like going insane that there's like a animal inside you very akin to not nowhere near in the same ballpark but same sport as Cronenberg did with The Fly like am I a fly that dreamed he was a man or am I a man that dreamed he was a fly yeah huh. you know, the whole like aspect of like you're changing your, into that was something your yeah I was like right, right. uh, whoever uh, you all right. think it was is who it was but <laughs> that way again I'm not good at impressions <laughs> uh, so but regardless this was a movie. And still is like uh, it's so much better as an older person, to where you're you're understanding the movie more, the themes and all that. As a you know, preteen growing up it was just like, oh yeah, transformation, fucking awesome, man. You know that was like that was all it was about. I was like, you oh, know this so movie cool. won an Oscar. Yes, which I'm that's the first piece of trivia. Uh, okay, which I'm glad you brought that up. Excellent segue, my friend. <laughs> Completely unplanned. Uh, this was the first film to earn the Academy Award for Best Makeup. Mm-hmm. The category didn't even exist. It was created for this film, that makeup and industry technological contributions <laughs> became recognized by the Academy, and none other than makeup artist Rick Baker was the first to receive an Oscar uh, in this category, well-deserved, mm-hmm. and William Tuttle was the first makeup effects artist to receive the honorary Oscar for his work on Seven Faces of Dr. Lau from 64, uh, You know, kind of a make-good, so to speak, now that they have a category right. for this. And it should be noted... There's only been two werewolf films that have won an Academy Award for Best Makeup. One was obviously this, the very first one, Rick Baker mm-hmm. took it home. The second one was also won by Rick Baker for The Wolfman in 2010, which is a terrible movie, but it looks pretty and the effects are good. So, hmm. so. Uh, but uh, I watch the only reality show I watch is Face Off on Sci Fi, and Rick Baker's there all the time. Everybody's just like, oh my God, it's Rick Baker. And like, I don't I'm not, I'm not even a makeup artist, so I'd be like, oh my God, it's Rick Baker. <laughs> like, he's. You know Stan Winston, Rick Baker, Rob Botan, Tom Savini. Uh, yeah. these are like you know the Mount Rushmore of practical special effects. Uh, and you know, Baker's still out there working the day too. So, although again, like you don't really get this nowadays, it's everything's just so CG, it's just uh, like I got my talk uh, about it, the you know, the original. The TV Mm -hmm. was—it's still scarier to me. I haven't watched it since I watched the new one, but I did watch it last year, so it's still relatively fresh, you know. And that still scared me as a kid. The new one didn't scare me because it was all CG. Yeah, ninety percent—not all of it. Obviously, there's real elements there. Don't get me wrong, but when you know, when Tim Curry's standing in a corner holding a balloon, laughing and pointing at me, that terrifies me. Mm -hmm. When a CG animated clown's like that, doesn't quite. Scare me the same. Now, granted, I know what some of you are screaming like, well, you're fucking 30 years old now. Yeah. And you were like 10 or 12 before, or like you're 15 years old. Like... All you Irish fellas listening to
1: this? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I mean, no disrespect. Um, have you ever been scared by a video game? I'm like, uh, not like scared, like post- while playing it, I have been like, oh shit. You yeah. Know, like, yeah. Well, that's all CG. Yeah, in a sense, in a yeah. But, but also, video games are immersive. Sure. There's that immersive You're making factor. the choices. Like when I'm... I think I think I talked about last week when we're talking about practical effect, or when we're talking about the blob, whenever it was, you know, like the shark from Jaws. Yeah, it looks fake, Mm -hmm. but when I have, when I was a kid, I wasn't. I was never scared of a real shark. I was scared Uh, of the one from Jaws. Right. That's the one that scared me. (laughs) You know. uh, The big fake one. Yeah. Well, that's the one that's eating people, Jesse. That you know, (laughs) destroying boats and shit. (laughs) You know. So, uh, but I really, honestly, like, and again, also, let's be fair. CG came about well into like, Jurassic Park was, like, the, one of the, in terms of per relevance like, that was kind of the start. Jurassic Park's half practical and half CG. And Stan Winston, one of the special effects Mountain Rushmore members, you know, it's, it's not seamless, but it doesn't, there's no jarring thing like, oh, CG, practical, CG, practical. They did it so well, and Jurassic Park, the original, still holds up Yeah. to me. Uh, but, you know, so there was a I guess I, in, for me personally, I'm not, gonna, I'm not a movie expert enough to say like, oh, actually, this was the first CG film that became blah, 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 whatever. For me, it was Jurassic Park. Hmm. And then after that, again, one of the greatest blockbusters of all time, everything after that, CG, CG, CG. Hmm. Uh, I remember, in fact, I remember one of the interviews uh, with Paul Verhoeven on Starship Troopers, how he said like, you know, he, he I think Phil Tippett is the guy that did the miniatures and that for those scenes, like he wanted to use them because he, he didn't want to do all CG. And I remember Phil Tippett saying, like, you know, nowadays, that was the first time I heard that. Like, somebody say it in the industry, like, say, I used to be able to do this for, like, you know, $50,000 to do a whole film. And now, because we don't have any work, because everybody's doing CG, I have to charge $200,000. Aren't, those aren't numbers I'm making up to show the difference. Sure. I don't remember what he said, but I was just like, that, and then, you know, that's when the light switch went off, like, motherfucker.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so,
0: but, again, what's come before is always there to love and appreciate, like, a good painting and everything. But uh, let's see some more trivia, because there's a a lot of interesting things about this film. Uh, This is just funny. It made me laugh when I read it. But uh, David Naughton, who played David, obviously, Mm -hmm. is supposed to be Jewish in the movie. And, however, the actor playing him is uncircumcised. So, thankfully, Mm -hmm. that's why we didn't get any junk alerts. Ah, that's the only reason. (laughs) So it was a good reason. (laughs) Uh, I'm sure, ladies, I'm sure if you pause a few scenes, you might, or, or gentlemen, we'd make no difference here you might see a little clip of something. I mean, I remember wearing out the Mask of Zorro tape when Catherine Zeta-Jones has her top off. <laughs> so when we'd watch it, you know, as a family, like you get to that one scene and the tape would go... <laughs> for all those uh, Mom, I edited 80s that out. kids, you know, oh, the VCR, must, I hope it's not eating the tape. <laughs> like, just, you know, kids that don't even know what that means these days. Right. They have no concept of, like, Can't I've seen the meme, the like, the pencil and the cassette tape. You have no idea what this means to have these yeah. in like... <laughs> I just remember that so vividly, like, oh shit, my Nirvana tape, fuck! Yep. <laughs> 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 oh shit, it's twisted. Pull it, it out, shit. turn it around. Uh, this has been '80s talk with uh, two yeah. old men. No, but uh, the final look of the werewolf was actually based on Rick Baker's white German Shepherd dog, Bosco. I don't know why the dog's name. That's kind of a weird name. Bosco. Isn't that a chocolate brand? <laughs> I have no clue. That <laughs> yeah, doesn't it doesn't ring is. a bell for me. <laughs> Wasn't that
1: uh, in Seinfeld? That was George's pin code. Bosco? Bosco, yeah, oh, that was, yeah. <laughs> he says,
0: Josco. Bosco. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Camera Peterman, just staring at the camera that dramatic human. Yeah. Bosco, 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 uh, <laughs> Bosco. Yeah. George, give him your pin, he's gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> oh, such a genius show. Anyway, sorry. Just, this is not Seinfeld talk. Yeah, but, but uh, we're dissecting Bosco. <laughs> but uh the original uh marquee for the film said from the director of animal house so many people naturally assume yeah. this was a comedy comedy which it is you yeah. I, this is a horror comedy drama you know it's a multi-genre film i'm not going to say anybody's saying it's the wrong genre they say it's a comedy or they prefer it to be a horror movie imdb says comedy horror exactly but as people were watching it many of them ran out of the theater when they discovered it was a horror film and they were scared to death so <laughs> but i think that's awesome personally Uh, Every song in the film has the word moon in their title, which is probably why Werewolves of London is not on the soundtrack.
1: Hmm.
0: The most obvious song that (laughs) should play some point in this film is not not on there. Genius or absent-mindedness? I don't know. Maybe you never heard the song after the movie came out. I don't know. But uh, remember I said, remember Michael Jackson and Thriller? That's because MJ was so amazed by this movie, uh, especially by the makeup and the visual effects that he insisted on hiring Rick Baker and everybody responsible for this movie to work on Thriller. And when Landis agreed to direct, which was his first music video, mind you, uh, he brought pretty much the same cinematographer, the same... Uh, uh, Elmer Bernstein did the music for the film, but, like, some of that little interlude stuff, like, for... When we say Thriller, not just the song, the whole music video movie, mm-hmm. you know, my, MJ picking the girl up, going to the movie, coming back to the house, all that stuff. Uh, that was much short. That was much longer than the actual six, seven, eight-minute music video. It was much longer than that when you got to see the whole thing. But anyway, so bought a whole bunch of with them, and that's how they did it. And uh, they actually, this would be interesting, or would have been interesting, I should say. Uh, but originally, John, executive producers John Peters and Peter Gruber, they hoped Lannis would cast Dan Aykroyd as David and none other than John Belushi as Jack. Which, on one hand, would be hilarious. Yeah. But then that, that wouldn't even it, more so. Yeah, like then it's comedy in all caps slash horror. Yeah, in a sense, uh, which would have been super interesting to have them. But uh, but Landis refused as he wanted to use new faces and because anyway Belushi and Ackroyd were too busy working on a film called Neighbors, which they actually wanted John Landis to direct, but he said no because he was doing an American Werewolf in London. Hmm. Let me get them. page two of my notes here, because I've got, th- got two more pages to get through, everybody, so we're getting there. But there's, there's some interesting stuff here, because, again, this is an effects-heavy film, and it's a landmark film, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, John Lannis actually came up with the idea for the film following an incident uh, while shooting Kelly's Heroes in 1970 in Yugoslavia. While driving on a country road with a colleague, he encountered a gypsy funeral, and they were, the body was being buried in a massively deep grave, feet first while wrapped in garlic, so they would not rise from the dead. So that gave him the idea for some... You know, we wanted to do a horror movie, basically. Obviously, there's nothing in there related to American Werewolf in London, mm. but that start that was the seed. Like, I want to do something about coming back from the dead. Which you you have like the, the spirit aspect. The dead are walking the earth because they died. I forget the term they use in the movie, but because uh, he killed the werewolf, killed them. They can't they can never rest until the werewolf is dead. But uh, you know, we, we talked about before, especially when we did the uh, Asia visit. It goes deep with the underwater movies. How in that small stretch of time, we had three underwater movies of with monsters yeah. or aliens or something. And we had Deep Impact and Armageddon. We had Dante's Peak and Volcano. Well, <clears throat> I didn't realize The Howling came out around the same time as American Werewolf. Hmm. And originally, Rick Baker was supposed to do the effects on The Howling. Uh. And Rick Baker was all about doing bipedal... Werewolves. Pretty much the standard of what we have today, in terms of when people think of a werewolf. Walking on two legs. Same thing in, in the Universal one as well, but uh, the reason Baker took that job was because he was waiting on Landis to get funding and get an American werewolf in London off the ground to be made. So basically, when these were happening simultaneously, pre-production and everything, so Landis finally got removal, uh, permission, like, Rick, come on, you gotta come over, you have to do this, and basically persuaded Rick Baker to come work on that, and Rick Baker left his protege... Rob Botin, who did the thing, to work on the Howling, oh. but also uh, Landis and Rick Baker they had disagreements on. You know, I'm not gonna say arguments. but I'll use the term disagreements because I wasn't there on how heated it got. But Baker wanted to maintain the bipedal werewolves for the visual effects aspect. Have you know people in suits and do the makeup there, so you can you don't have to have puppeteers. But Landis was pretty insistent on wanting a quadruped, mm. like a giant dog, demon dog from hell, which I think that's actually. Uh, his verbatim uh, that he wanted to look like a demon dog for hell because I I really think I read that somewhere and I didn't know this but thinking back to Blues Brothers and Animal House but John Landis always puts Frank Oz somewhere in his films he considers Frank Oz his good luck charm (laughs) which is kind of weird that an actor or a person is your good luck charm to be a bit role
1: it happens like Pixar does it with uh, the guy who plays Cliff Cliff on Cheers uh, he
0: has big roles He's he's like a supporting what I would say a supporting character. John uh, Frank Oz he, like he has like two lines in this film, and then he's out the door. He's not even like a main character. Uh, if you not John no not is it John Ratzenberger? That's it. I was gonna yeah. say Lasseter, which is the other Pixar <laughs> guy, but not the one we're talking yeah. about. Uh, let me see. Oh, the uh, during the transformation scene, his, his screaming evolves into a series of monstrous roars. Uh, in that scene, there's a shot where he's on his back and staring at the camera, reaching out. From that moment to the end of the scene, if you listen carefully, the audio track of The Werewolf Roars is the same track used in the opening scene of Thriller. Again, <laughs> tying it to sure. Thriller, because Michael Jackson really, really liked this movie. Uh, the title of the movie, See you Next Wednesday, which is the porno in the film, which... In hindsight, they should have, it should have been seen next Tuesday. Sure, yeah. They but the moment. Uh, it's a trademark of John Lannis' work. Uh, it's first encountered by him as Dialogue in 2001, A Space Odyssey. He created a fictional movie and included posters for it as early as 1973 and then later in Trading Places and Coming to America. Uh, Billboards and the Blues Brothers, cinema screening it in the Kentucky Fried Movie and Michael, and Michael Jackson Thriller and also as Dialogue and other kinds of props and set dressing. So that's almost like a... Is A big Easter egg in a Landis film is to find out where he squeezes in see the film the film within a film, so to speak. See you next Tuesday. Oh, sorry. See you next Wednesday. <laughs> uh, in the porno theater at the end, in the climax of the film, when uh, the werewolf's inside the theater and everybody's screaming, a lot of the extras didn't know that it was a fake werewolf that was going to burst. Not that they thought it was a real one. But they they were told there's a wild animal in there. So when the robotic werewolf actually the door's open and it jumps out, they Mm -hmm. all thought it was real. Like, a lot of the reactions are real because they thought it was a real wild animal that was going to jump out. So, (laughs) which, and and believe me, if if somebody told me that, if I was in that same position and that thing jumped out, I'd probably shit myself and pass out. Because I think think the werewolf in here is, if I was walking and saw it in the woods, I'd be terrified. Of course, in bright light, it's not that scary. It looks, oh, that's so cute. But when it's like got those eyes and that monstrous draw, pretty scary. And speaking of the how I mentioned just a few minutes ago, uh, it was actually a combination of a wolf and an elephant to make that more thunderous roar, so to speak. Hmm. And actually, Rick Baker had been, while working on this movie, Rick Baker had been asked by none other than Steven Spielberg to work with him on E.T. However, Baker had to turn it down because of his obligations on this movie. And I think that's a good thing because E.T. is now a bastardization of what it was with all that CG director crap added to it. That just completely ruins it. So please do me a favor. Hmm. I, I was like, I, I think it was my two or three year old, three year old birthday, but I had an ET birthday. I don't remember. I was too young. But I, there are pictures of my ET cake, and I loved ET when it like forever, <laughs> like as as a very very young child. Like I have no memories of like how much I loved it, but I, there's I have pho- photographic evidence that it was like the my favorite thing in the world was ET. Yeah, the Atari game. <laughs> I wouldn't no, I didn't have it. my aunt had an Atari and she might have had it. But uh and as we talked about the podcast when we covered E.T. when I, when I rewatched it for the podcast, I made the mistake of watching the 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 one I down, uh watched on Amazon
1: right. was
0: uh the the most recent one, this special edition for lack of a better word. Mm-hmm. And go listen to an episode for me to go on a diatribe of that, but please With if you have a choice. In it? Yeah, instead of nice. guns. And then C G E T jumping around mm-hmm. like I'm glad that didn't, like, cover up Rick Baker's work. Right. You know? And then, but then having watched the original E.T. after that, it's like, why? There's no need for that bullshit. Mm-hmm. It's just like uh, the Star Wars Special Editions, which, excuse me, that's fine adding a scene to Jabba because you shot that scene and you could never finish it. So you put in, at that time, decent CG at this at nowadays sci-fi channel Sharknado CG. Yeah. To Do it, that's fine. That there's a story behind that, not just like, yeah, oh, there's a guy there differently.
1: that was representing Java, even, yeah, like he wasn't, he, he didn't even say, I'm here for Java,
0: he was like, I am Java, Thut. yeah, because he always planned to do something, and he finally did, that was awesome. But then you go and then you go to Empire, and then let's add all these windows to Cloud City, that's totally unnecessary, and then you get to Return of the Jedi, where you have a musical number in Java's Palace, yeah, there should be like. CG cops, like, sorry, George, this is an illegal use of CG. This is completely unnecessary to this film and ruining people forever. <laughs> End of rant. Sorry about that. But, uh, for the famous transformation scene, David Naughton said that it took six days to film, roughly ten hours a day spent on applying the makeup, makeup <clears throat> five hours on set, and three hours of makeup removal. Because the makeup took so long to apply and remove, there was only enough time for one setup a day. Rick Baker estimated that only half an hour of footage was shot during the entire week, uh, the last shot was a snout protrusion. It didn't even include David Naughton, but that was... You could tell, but it was a total anima, totally animatronic head. Hmm. But again, the editing, it blends in with everything you're seeing. It doesn't look out of place. It doesn't look... It's not like Terminator, which Stan Winston, did the effects on that. No shame to Stan Winston, but you know, Arnold's digging in his eyeball. Oh, and yeah, it goes yeah, to that yeah, other that shot looks... like... <laughs> and honestly, it's not so much that it doesn't look like him. It's the motion of it. Yeah. You know, the, the animation of it is too... Like That gives it away. And just the shine of his skin and everything yeah. like that. Just they could have, you know, now obviously they, he did a lot better because he did Predator and Aliens and all that, so. Yeah. But that just, that's the first thing I think of when I think of when they do a shot, you know, here's the real person, and then here's the dummy. That's the, that one always comes to mind because it's just so, like, Yeah. I'm imitating the roboticness of a robot. Day and so, night. <laughs> yeah. Body count. Jesse, you didn't see it. Would you even care to guess? 16. On, like, uh, you, would not, you did not go over. Oh. The total... Now, actually, you're, you're very close because the body count's considered 21. However, six of the kills, although you see the deaths, they mm-hmm. are imagined when he's flipping out about the uh. Nazi werewolves coming in his house and killing his family and all that stuff. So hmm. you're right on the money. Practically, you know, yeah. you don't count the imagined ones, you're one over. Uh, score-wise, I'd give this an 8.5. It's... I really don't know a better werewolf movie. I think this is... The best. It's werewolf visit movie. It at gmail.com If you have an idea. Yeah, Silver Bullet. It's fun. It's got Gary Busey, but this is this is just the other amazing. One, the
1: howling we just mentioned.
0: Yeah, how oh, I watched that last. year. <laughs> it's not my favorite. Right. I don't. It's not it's that 6. good. Six point
1: six on uh, IMDb.
0: I mean, it's more like a sex cult of werewolves in the woods, and oh. whereas I just I didn't dig the like D Wallace was gorgeous in it. It's got, I mean, it's got good effects. I mean, I'm not talking shit about it. Just not my cup of tea. It's like, you know, the uh, there's a, a vampire movie called The Hunger, which is a, it's a cool film. It's really mm-hmm. Scott, or Tony Scott, maybe. Uh, but it's got uh, David Bowie in it as a vampire, and he has this beautiful, uh, it's a French actress, I think, uh, Marie Dionne or something like that. It's very famous foreign actress. But they're like vampires, and Susan Saran is in it, too. But it's a very, like, the fact that they're vampires is secondary to the fact that David Bowie is dying, and the other vampire chick is ends up latching on to Susan Saran and, and forgetting about David Bowie. So it's more about the drama of that dynamic. And that's what, to me, The Howling's not really more so, it's, I don't know, it's just more like, I guess, relationships. And I don't know, I just, it, eh, I can't really explain it. <laughs> this one's better, bottom line. <laughs> if you're going to pick one, watch An American Werewolf in London. It's fantastic. I think um, most people would agree with you.
1: You no, know, The
0: Howling has like six sequels or some shit like that. Oh, there's a really. ton of Howling movies, including one called Howling. I think it's three. It's three or four, but it's called The Marsupials. So shout out to our uh, Australian werewolf brothers <laughs> uh, been at the Asia Mania yeah. podcast. Uh, so there's that. But this, this is the definitive werewolf movie to me. When I think of werewolves, I think of the werewolf from this one. For, like That's the first thing that pops in my head. And, you know, this movie is, again, it holds up. It's still well-regarded, well-praised. Like I said, it has a a 7.6 on IMDb. Rotten Tomatoes, 89% critics, 85% audience. You know, when I see numbers like that for a movie, I'm going to be interested in seeing what it is. And especially, especially a horror movie, because that is an underrepresented genre in terms of, like, you know, you don't get too many gems, so to speak, in terms of, let me rephrase that. You get tons of gems when you know where to look. There's fantastic horror movies out there, but you don't get critical darlings to where they're universally praised as being an exceptional film. Those, those types are few and far between. But, I mean, again, there's plenty of good horror out there that comes out every year if you know where to look. But uh, let's see. Back to the Future. Like I said, I've been watching horror movies because it's October or Shocktober, whatever you want to call it. In October. Swaptober. I see people posting gender swap comic characters. octi oh, doggy. All this kind of stuff. So, but uh, this week, uh, the new Shadow of War, Shadow of Mordor sequel came out. Shadow of War. I'm, I'm early into it. Jesse, you're still playing the original. I just got back into the original.
1: I, I downloaded it when it was it went on sale a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. Played like eight hours on one day. Didn't get anywhere really because I didn't know where the main missions were. Yeah. Then I just loaded it up about a couple days ago, and I'm on the main missions
0: now. Now there's actually cutscenes happening. Yeah. So you, like you, now
1: you're now you're moving forward cutscene hunter yeah. <laughs>
0: Straight park, the great thing about that game though is too is that you know that didn't hurt you what you were doing mm-hmm. you were progress. you were still progressing well and stuff
1: it's about to end though because you know next week we've got a great title coming out yeah
0: the fractured butthole
1: that's right two days I now. in
0: fact I, this morning when I check when I first thing I do when I get in bed or when I wake up I grab my phone and see what time it is yeah and then I check from any messages or emails and the first email Amazon has shipped your order the fractured butthole I'm like yes can wait? I think
1: I'm gonna go with a PC on that. Mm-hmm. I just because I'm right here, I could work and play it at the same time. That's you gotta do what's best for you. It's not like yeah. it's multiplayer anyway, so. Yeah. But I thought, well, if I played it over on my screen, I could just sit and react. I don't know. Ups and downs to each one. Yeah.
0: But if again you you spend most of your time on here, I imagine. Yeah. You know, so you York, might as well have so it to where it's I could have yeah. it up, yeah. I don't know. I'll figure it out. Yeah, but I that's I was excited for Shadow of War and I actually wasn't gonna get it. This week, but then I was like, wait a second, no, if I get it now, I'll get it for cheaper because of Amazon Prime. Right. So, I might as well get it now. Yeah. And then, but of course, this, like, literally, then I get home, when I'm at the office and that box from Amazon comes in with the fractured butthole, uh, yeah, I'm going to call it a day, everybody. I'll see y'all tomorrow. <laughs> However, I did, it's a double edged sword because mm-hmm. the stick of truth was the first game that Autumn, like, sat there and, like, watched. Like, she didn't, wasn't, she was like, wow. she, lo- she enjoyed watching me play it. Yeah, because it felt like you are watching the show. Yeah, and that, that was the genius of that game. Like, for 40 hours, mm-hmm. maybe 30 for me, I guess. I'm just trying to think. You know, it wasn't like full RPG length in terms right. of that, but, I mean, consistently, and then, oh, you're doing this all of, sudden, all of a sudden? You're performing an abortion. Never thought I'd do that in a video game. <laughs> never thought I'd go up an anus in a video game. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. The whole time, was like, I never thought I would, I never in my wildest imagination thought I would ever be doing this. In a game, and it just got Not worse once twice <laughs> and worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And I need that in the best way possible, right? It, it was pure South Park. My only worry for this one is like, wh- how can they top that in terms oh, of, yeah. like, well, did you watch the South Park that just came on? Yeah, the prequel, yeah, they say that was
1: a prequel for it. Yeah,
0: um, well, it sets up
1: the split, yeah, it sets up the split, so you can choose sides now. Yeah, so we're doing Civil War, yeah, we're doing. <laughs> <fuck laughs> <yeah, Civil> <laughs>
0: So I'm super excited so for that. Fuck you. <laughs> but uh, that kind of does it for this one. We'll be back next. Uh, ben, just so you know, I know you're listening. Uh, this episode had a ton of info for this one. I have hardly anything for next week's movie, so I'm gonna save your email, Ben, for next week to there pad our running time. There you so, go. So, but uh, I did get it. Did read it. We'll talk to you then. But uh, let us know what you think. Agevisitatgmail.com uh, at AwesomePods at Agevisited on Twitter. Uh, don't forget our friends Near and Far, Now vs. Nostalgia, John and James in Lafayette, Louisiana, and our good friend Down Under already mentioned twice on our podcast, Ben Wyatt with Asia Mania Podcast. And next week, you will be terrorized on October 22nd? Yep, that's right. Yep, October 22nd. So if you have any guesses by the image posted, if anybody gets this, this one, if you have a guess, you know how off the wall you think it is, if you know what this movie is next week and you send it to me, I will, I will get a significant as in like $20 or less type prize for you. I will get What's some, the hint? It's terrorizing us October 22nd, which doesn't give away much. <laughs> but that's the big one. hint is the picture when I put the collage that's slowly being filled in. Ah, uh, okay. So you will see a silhouette where it'll say terrorizing October 22nd. If you know who that is, what the name of this movie that we're doing next week, uh, to recognize your skill... At having no no what to note know knowledge to horror movie knowledge know what film we're doing based upon that silhouette, I will come up with something special for you. And it might be related to the movie, so you might not think it's that special because of the film we're going to talk about, right. unless you're the biggest blank fan oh, in the world. I'm a huge fan of blank. Love the blank. I love the blank. Gotta she love loves the blank. The blank. <laughs> but that does it for this week, I believe. I think I've covered everything. Blah, 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 blah. Yep. Uh, or is there anything else you watched or anything for Back to the Future? Oh,
1: I covered lore other than that. No, not really.
0: Gotcha. And we got another episode <laughs> we're doing in about five seconds. So, yeah. <laughs> actually, if you got anything, hold it for the next one. Well, but how are you
1: going to report a winner for recording in five seconds?
0: They'll have to, like, will be next week. Or, I'm sorry, week after next, once... Okay. We're recording, but they still have a week before they hear it. Oh, that's okay. so. We want to announce the sure. winner if if somebody gets it. I'm throwing the gauntlet down. I don't think anybody is going to get it unless. Now, I would like if you see it to know it. I know. I, I know one of our listeners. I'm not going to say his name because I want to put pressure on him. But yeah. I know he's a big horror fan, and he very well might get it. Mm. But if you have to go, try it, I don't want people to Google it. And I, uh, I'm sure I don't think you could. But Actually, I don't think you could, so... I would like an honest <laughs> winner. You know, that's all I'm getting at is like, oh, I recognize that. That's blank. And everybody loves the blank, as we've established. Loves yeah. The blank is we'll howling. <laughs> Jam it, Jesse! Yeah, no. Contest null and void! <laughs> Just kidding. But it, you know, seriously, if you know what it is, and if you can get it based on that silhouette, you deserve to be acknowledged for knowing what that is. Yeah. Your so knowledge I'll, is worth I'll something. I'll come up with something, and we'll get it out to you. We'll announce the winner on the last episode of Halloween Horror... Which is not the next one, but the one after that. Oh, it mm. comes and goes so quick. They always do. It hurts the heart. But until <laughs> then, everybody, stay safe when you walk the moors at night and beware the moon. And I am Trey Harris. Jesse Sedgley. Cowabunga! Ow! What a lame-ass
1: owl.
0: Oh. <laughs> I'll put it in a fake one. Yeah, but like, Damn, that was a good owl, <laughs> Trey. <right?
1: laughs>